0: Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. I think we connected to here and there on LinkedIn. You might or might not have heard of him if you're in the engineering community. We have Eddie Jaud. Eddie Ziaud has been recently promoted or awarded a star from one of the GitHub stars, and he can talk about a little bit of the program, but there are only 14 of them right now, right, Eddie? That's correct. Yes, I was number 12
1: out of all the millions and millions of people, tens of millions of people on GitHub. I think they plan to have about 100 100- by the end of the
0: year. And Eddie, Eddie has been uh, running his own uh, consultancy here in the UK and it's come today to talk a little bit or fight with us from a cyber versus developer perspective. So the whole point of the conversation is to have an agreement or not <laughs> on software development and vulnerability. But let me let me give a massive welcome to Eddie on the show. Eddie, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit more about what keeps you busy these days. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for having me on your show. This is awesome. Um, I really enjoy your, your <laughs> podcast and your content creation. So what keeps me busy? Open source. Uh, I love open source, <laughs> not only just contributing, but I have a real passion for getting more people into open source because I believe that open source is for everybody. You don't have to be a coder. Open source is not just about code anymore. It's also about documentation, raising ideas, raising bugs, confirming if bugs are correct or not. And there's just so many ways people can get involved and I'm really passionate about people getting more involved in that. Fantastic. So I spend a lot of my time on GitHub and YouTube, and then a bit on social media as well. I share some clips. I'm not as active as you. I know you do a lot of things. It's hard to keep. <laughs> up. It's good to have that
0: competition out there, definitely. Yeah, we tease each other. We we, we tease each other. I think we, we started we started teasing with few few of my my friend down in California, and we challenge each other every week to make it. Uh, we started on following Friday, then content creation, and challenge each other to create. Uh, it Ended up like being. Uh, uh, I was I was I think down in California and uh, we met into a specific location and they came into my video <laughs> as a challenge to each other. We ended up just being mentors. Like I bring my pets, I bring my kids.
1: <laughs> I remember seeing some pictures from your trip and uh, and that was really fun. And I love your you know your your things that you do like mentoring or shout out Fridays and so forth. I think they're great.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's all about building a community and you do a lot on the community side. I mean, our, our cybersecurity community is really neat and is is what I want to start breaking out because I don't want cybersecurity people talking only about cyber to cyber people because then, as you said, it's like the whole open source uh, initiative. If you are only focused on one specific industry, then you don't get the message out. So I want to get the message more out and do more of this outside the industry uh discussion and uh, you are probably one of the first and the one that i respect the most on on your initiative because you like-minded but talking from a development perspective leading the charge on the open source so really those messages absolutely resonate with me that's
1: awesome. It's great to hear and vice versa. I have to get you on my YouTube channel so we can record <laughs> uh, record some things about, uh, about security because I've got to admit developers don't always think about security first. They're finally doing test-driven development, but I think they need to do kind of test security-driven development or something like that. There's just so many things that need to be done in
0: addition to just how the feature works. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, so from my perspective, I I came of recent into the discussion about the whole, not, not much of the open source, because as a cyber perspective, we are in love and terrified at the same time from open source. It's, it's being a, a, a driving vector for vulnerability to come into, into industries and to uh, the organization that we try to protect. So we are wary and terrified at the same time from open source, but we also love open source. And uh, I don't know if if you're involved or if you had experience, but uh, I know um, Zap was in one of your uh, previous episodes. So OWASP has been massive about bringing cyber people and contributing in engineer-focused projects, but right now it's kind of expanding into more broader conversation, but how did you actually came about open source or how did you, what was your first experience with open source maybe? I got involved in open source a long time
1: ago, well over a decade ago, probably, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago. And things were very different back then. There was no GitHub. There was Everyone had their own kind of platform. list there was SourceForge and various other ones. But you had to sign all these NDAs. And I remember contributing to Zen framework, PHP framework back in the day. And I had to sign all these NDAs to get involved. And I think I contributed to Google. They had their own hosting svn hosting i think at the time subversion and again i had to sign all these things so it took me a long time to kind of get into it. the barrier to entry was really high which Mm -hmm. i think why nowadays yes there are different challenges but i think it's interesting that craig you have account you don't even need to install any software you can actually contribute just directly on the platform from you know a github issue to actually a commit and raising a pull request to make changes to someone's repository and i really really love that i think a lot of people don't realize how I say straightforward it is, but it can be daunting when you first when you first get to it, keep making sure that your fork's kept up to date. A lot of people I found out delete their fork to then refork it so it's up to mm. date again after they've made their pull request and after it's been accepted, which I kind of understand it is quite daunting. So I did do a video on that recently. It's actually one of my best videos was how to keep your fork, your GitHub fork up to date. That's uh, via on the command line. Mm. But yeah, it's a quite interesting. So I got involved a long time ago. I, I liked. Uh, I do like how the landscape has really changed, and I think GitHub has been one of the main players in that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think I was back in the days. So I was on on SVN, and it kind of disappeared as soon as as soon as GitHub <laughs> kind of said, "Get out. We do better." <laughs> poor as SVN, but yeah, no, I agree. I agreed. Sometimes the I'll tell you a funny joke. So when working with my developers, I I haven't I haven't used Git for a long while, and I started pulling issue or comment, and they start shouting at me. It's like, where is your etiquette, man? <laughs> <laughs> you push in release for document and stuff, or you put in comment and issues like, okay, teach me. And one thing as, as like I didn't know on, on how the whole etiquette about uh, even contributing to, to git and other other open source repository, or even your own, when you work with your own team. So there is a whole etiquette in out there, but also people are afraid. So when I usually am not very afraid of asking questions so I said okay teach me <laughs> what do i need to do
1: but I think that's people- good but because you, you're right people are are afraid I think I see it on my um, on my live streams or on open source projects that as soon as one person start or two people start commenting or doing something then others start start jumping in and those one or two people break the ice for everybody else and I think there is a kind of an etiquette and that's why when I hire people I like to hire people who contribute to open source, doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what the contribution is, even just raising issues of ideas, doesn't even have to be making code changes. I think it's because they get to kind of collaborate with other people, different people who think differently. And then it makes them explain themselves a bit better rather than the amount of times people come to me in my community and say, hey, I've got a problem it doesn't work. It's like, well, oh, it's on line four. They go, how do you know it's on line four? I said, exactly. You haven't sent me anything. You said you've got a problem. I don't know what it is. So, I'm next man. <laughs> and, they, and they just wonder how I can see their line four. I can't see anything. I don't even know what what languages or tech they're using. So I think, yeah, it's people get- to uh, uh, learn a way to explain, because they see other people raise questions and they think, well, I can't answer that because I don't know what they're talking about, and they and they realise that you need to be you don't want to write like a big essay. You doesn't want to be war mm-hmm. and pre- peace. Nobody wants to read all that. But I think it's it's important to be concise and have enough enough detail for what the other person will need. So that's something I always look at. Actually, one other thing I always look at is not only only how their collaboration has been on GitHub, but also. I like to look at their code now if I'm hiring Mm -hmm. a developer and look at their code like two, three months ago. It doesn't matter what their code is like today, but I just want to know it's better than what it was two, three months ago because it shows they're still learning. And people, a lot of people say, oh, I don't put up my code until it's 100% perfect. Well, they've obviously, if it's 100% perfect and they've put something up, they've obviously stopped learning because it's never 100% perfect. I look at my code like two weeks ago and I think, what idiot wrote that? And that's just me. And that was my code. I go, oh, that's me. I wrote that. I'm the idiot. So yeah. With All yourself, <laughs> it's part of the fun, though, right? Same with security; it must be changing on a daily basis, and that's part of the fun.
0: Yeah, no, security security is particularly changing. But I, I really like your approach and initiative that says I picked a couple of things. That from what you just said, that is, open source is approachable and open to everybody. So you don't necessarily need to be a coder you, to contribute. You can be a communicator, and actually, communication is such critical thing. And in cyber security is even more important because you ended up interacting with different people with different perspective. You ended up interacting with uh, C-level, board level, or developers that have a completely different focus and mindset. So for us, that we are techie as well, super techie as well. And you ended up vehiculating the message of saying, I have a vulnerability to a developer, and and, then the answer is, okay, it's in line four. (laughs) (laughs) And then two people start shouting at each other because we're missing the context. We are not talking to uh, to developer, to their language, and they're not talking back to us, to our language. So we talk about vulnerability, risk, uh, impact, breaches, and a developer say, man, I just want to deploy my code or get my stories done and go on with my life, (laughs) right? It's true. A lot of them do focus on on, on that.
1: And they, there's more to it than just pl- deploying the code. I think deploying the code is the, I don't want to say the easier part, but mm-hmm. the kind of it's it's the icing on, on the cake. I think it's important to get code deployed sooner so you can get feedback from the user. But if it's not efficient, it's not secure, it's not written well for the next person to adapt it to the, to a higher fidelity, then it's, it's literally no good unless it's a prototype and then that that's different because you only do like five to ten features and you're going to throw it away anyway which is a different discussion different story because it never gets thrown away it ends up ends up staying and becomes the uh, final product I do have some horror stories one way to say but I won't say it
0: please now. tell us everything or about how, <laughs> how do you have an idea have you registered a domain for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well once you've registered
1: domain right the idea is finished everyone exactly. registers like a hundred domains and then they never build anything now, actually this I was referring to um, a government project actually where mm-hmm. they'd been working on it for, for four years and I was joining for the fifth year so one, my first year there but it was their final year of the project and they wanted and they're having a lot of problems they wanted help and so long story short it was a horrendous project like I mean it's the worst I've ever seen it didn't work it worked for four years and just didn't work <laughs> Like, no joke. Not that it wasn't efficient or it wasn't secure. Yes, it wasn't efficient. And it wasn't secure. But it just didn't work. <laughs> and it wasn't a big project. It was to load effectively um, a CSV and display it on on some graphs and some maps and some tables and stuff. That's it in a nutshell. Really? <laughs> and it was a, a lot of CSV data. There might be you know 10,000 files a day and so on. But they couldn't load like one file. So it, it didn't matter that they spoke about. We've got all these servers. We're scaling, and we've got. <laughs> PHP wrapped in Python wrapped in Rust wrapped in Go, and I'm like, this is CV-driven development. This is you're picking technologies just to learn them on the job. <laughs> and I said, the first thing I said was, you need to start again. I said, we can't. This is the start. This is the start again. This is the second version. We spent five years before trying to build something. It failed security because it was a really out-of-date version of PHP, and this is the new version. And I thought, wow. So I did what they wanted. I was a bit of a code monkey for that that year. I didn't want to finish the contract early. But it was soul destroying i was fixing seg faults and stuff that you shouldn't even get in php and python and all the rest that's the whole point right it's not c or c where you're really low down but the going back to the prototype part on my last two days i didn't have much work to do i said look this is how you should have built it prototype style but this is what you should so in two days i spent two days putting something together where i could read in csvs much faster than they could and i could put them on on a map on a graph and so forth <laughs> And then I left. I left it with them. I left. And then a year later, I got contacted from a friend who took over the project. He said, oh, really great work. I liked what you did. And I was like, I didn't really do anything on on the original project. I was doing more behind the scenes, fixing a lot of of errors. And he said, oh, but I like the graphs and the way you loaded in the data and the way you used Elasticsearch and all the rest for aggregation. I was like, what? That was a throwaway product I did in (laughs) two days. And they went, oh, it actually threw away their product. They spent four almost five years on and they're using yours. I'm like, what? So that was really (laughs) scary because that was not designed to be used in production at all. And I'm Um, sure it did pass security
0: though. It's better than (laughs) PHP.
1: Well, it's not. I don't think there's anything wrong with PHP. I don't like the bash languages, but it's what the way it was written and the way it was used. It was it was incorrect. It was badly used. So yeah, it was done in Java, and I wouldn't probably wouldn't use Java nowadays. But it was done in Java, and yeah, it it was it was faster. It was efficient. It just kept it really simple. They had queue systems and all these things to read CSVs, and it was just over-engineered. It was a bit of a Frankenstein. But it was scary how that prototype. I've done two days, no automated testing, no no nothing literally just knocked it together as if it was a two day hackathon, and then they're using it in production. and that was really
0: scary. But that's a fantastic story and also a scary story but I think I, I like the approach of you know what you spend so much time over engineering that you could just start from, from, from a whiteboard and saying what is the problem that you're trying to fix because sometimes projects like this get wrapped up or maybe trying to fix security flaws you, you, you end up wrapping yourself up in you know you pull this you pull that and the functionality breaks and ultimately the product doesn't deliver what it does and security is not happy either way because Is a clunky product. So sometimes it's better to start with security at the very beginning of the project, because sometimes you might try to fix at the very end of the project uh, a logic flow. And- absolutely. I think
1: fixing it at the end it never works. When people say they're gonna write the documentation at the end, the tests at the end, security checks at the end, performance you checks at the end. It, it, it's it's you forget, and even if you didn't, it's too big. Even if there's a gatekeeper that says, right, we're not gonna deploy it to production until uh, you've done these 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 checks, it's too big. You run you, you know, you run security checks and you get 30 issues that could take like a month, but then that's a knock on effect, like you said, to functionality. That's why I think I really am selective on the projects and clients that I choose now. The people that I work with because I really strongly believe that you go with the steel thread, I don't know if you heard this analogy, but steel thread um and low fidelity focus. So when I start a project, day one, there's going to be a deployment to production. Okay, it might not be out exposed to the user, but the deployment on day one, it's going to be hello world. It's not going to be very functional. But in that from beginning to end, from dev, it's going to go all through the, the right processes, um, mm-hmm. dev, staging, production, whatever it is. But along that, CI is going to do performance checks, it's going to do automated testing, and it's going to do security checks, all on CI. They're not going to be the fully functional tests in it by any means, but when you add a new feature, then you at uh, that, that process pull request is, is going to... <laughs> Exactly, that pull request is going to contain everything. It's going to contain documentation for that feature. It's going to contain the extra security checks that it might need to do config or whatever it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the also the automated tests that it would need to check it. So if we ever need to pull out that feature, we pull it out and everything comes out with it. So we, mm-hmm. we squash the pull request. So there might be 20 commits, say, to get that pull request in, but we'll squash it when it goes into production, into like the mainline branch. And therefore, if we ever need to pull it out, we can cleanly pull it out and it's yeah it's it's nothing clever it's just actually keep like you said keeping things simple um i'm by no means a security expert but i what i like is when it does get to the we do the third party um cyber security test Mm -hmm. the numbers that come back are quite short like three to five things of things that that we missed and they they have we know they've done a really good job there's no point getting three pages of like simple things that you can kind of, that it's just so silly. It must really annoy the security people who are checking this. They're thinking, this is so simple. Why, yes. why haven't you done this? So I like to remove and omit. And it's embarrassing, right? If someone picks up such simple It shouldn't things.
0: be. It shouldn't be because we're not, we're not trained and we're not trained developer and you guys are not trained security, but it's working together that we start learning each other words. So for example, I don't know, buffer overflow. It, it seems trivial, but st- it's, it's still the number one vulnerability or, I don't know, input sanitization and validation, or, or take a buffer, check that it's three lines. Well, some people say, why? I I had conversational, why? And for me, it was like super clear. It's like, you're taking an input, you should check it or use something to parse it. No, I created my own parser. It's like, (laughs) how would you do that? There is like, I had literally a call uh, one day where 30 people and they said, well, there is an input validation. 50 people said, well, we have the same problem. And it's like, there is this nice OWASP library that does it for you. You just call the function and that's it. (laughs) I said, do I don't remember the will? No, you just use it. Here you go. And they were super happy. <laughs> I made their life easy, successful for me. So super happy. And I think that's what we need to strive for. It's like that conversation. And as you just said, and as you said before, the context is absolutely king because then we can talk the same language and solve with a simple communication. And that's our fault as security I'm people sure sometimes. People
1: that I work with because I really strongly believe that you go with the steel thread. I don't know if you heard this analogy, but steel thread um, and low fidelity focus. So when I start a project, day one, there's going to be a deployment to production. OK, it might not be out exposed to the user, but the deployment on day one, it's going to be hello world. It's not going to be very functional. But in that, from beginning to end from dev it 's going to go all through the the right processes um, mm-hmm. dev staging production whatever it is, but along that CI is going to do performance checks it 's going to do automated testing and it 's going to do security checks all on CI they 're not going to be the fully functional tests in it by any means, but when you add a new feature then you at uh, that Your that process' pull request is the same. Is going to Exactly, that pull request is going to contain everything. It's going to contain documentation for that feature. It's going to contain the extra security checks that it might need to configure whatever it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like you said, the conversational piece is really important because there's so many libraries, frameworks, et cetera, that we can use. It can do a lot of the heavy lifting for us, but it's being, you can't be aware of everything because there's mm-hmm. so much out there. Whereas other people... Are aware of different things because that's their focus, that's their job, that's their interest, whatever the reason is. And having that conversation, they can, like you said, they can point out, you do realize you don't need to write that yourself and reinvent the wheel. There is something that takes care of that for you. I think that's really important. And it might not solve everything, it's not a silver bullet, but if it can remove 90% of the the fluff, the easier stuff, then when it gets to us, you know, the experts in that area, then they can focus on one thing. yeah, exactly. The the more challenging things that and probably the more important things rather than just the, the little things. And same with accessibility. On our pipeline, on our CI, we always add accessibility checks. Do we do we find everything and fix every uh, do we find everything? No. But ideally ninety percent of things we do find
0: and then and then the heavy lifting is done at the end and security is exactly the same so it's it's a traditional argument that we have about you know you do pen testing at the end or do you do security testing at each release and you might not find everything uh, with automated testing you know uh But you might find 90% of the stuff and then that 10% that is fundamentally just business logic or way to corrupt effectively application in clever way or specific thing. You can do it at the very end or you can do it at a specific stage, but at that point you involve the human aspect because the majority of the stuff we can fix it in IDE or you can fix it during the build. If, if the build returns you, well, you have these bugs or you have these things to fix and some security stuff. It's so much cheaper to fix it at that stage, right? Absolutely. I think you brought up another
1: good point is, is the cost. People, A lot of companies and a lot of people think, oh, if we add all this stuff into our CI, it's going to slow us down, it's going to cost us more. Finding these things earlier and sooner in the pipeline, like if I've just created a feature, and I've put everything I thought in that's correct, but then it goes to CI and CI runs it on my commit, mm-hmm. and actually just find some issues, doesn't matter where the issues is, some tests fail or some security vulnerabilities are found. For me to fix it now is the cheapest way because it's in my mind. I've just worked on it. It's all fresh. I can just go do it really quickly. If it goes through the entire process and then it gets to the pen testing, pen testing, and then it's found then, it's really expensive because by then it's involved other team members. It's gone through review. It's involved um, you know the maybe the release manager to get or plan all the rest and it's made it to the you know the cyber expert and then. They found something. It goes back to the beginning, and we've got to raise an issue. We've got to go through all that process again, and you're actually wasting the time of probably, and I don't crushed know, souls. Six, yeah, exactly. And six to ten people, and it just it takes another month, whatever, to go through that process. So it's really important for the for the silly little silly things. It just seems crazy to get to the end of the process and find those things you want. Yeah, you want to find those things as soon as possible. But people like to stick their head in the sand and and hope that it just makes it through and it's someone else's problem. And sometimes it it does. And
0: sometimes it does. But the problem is, uh, I think we were running some calculation. It takes up to 30 times more to fix stuff in production rather than in, in code development or even in architecture. Yeah, it's like the difference in price is massive. And more important, if you're lucky, the application and the backend is not used by anybody else. Most of the time you have API, so you have interdependency. So when you test something and you remove a function, then you have other four applications that then crash. <laughs> so the testing the becomes massive.
1: Exactly, I mean, 30, I, I believe it is 30 times more, if not even more, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's being conservative. People, yeah, to be conservative, okay. But I don't know why people just hope it sorts itself out later on, but it's not. And that's something we need to address from day one and like mm-hmm. you said you need to have those conversations uh, little and often more regularly if possible rather than having a one week pen test and then have like three days of conversations going through those why not try and you know and every couple of weeks just have an hour conversation it just becomes less yeah. of a burden less of a cost and i know each project and each team is slightly different but just as an example
0: No, but I absolutely agree. And 90% of the time is having those conversations with the executive all the way to the product owner, because sometimes the conversation that, I'll tell you a story. When I was working with teams, they said, we love audit, don't take audit away. And I said, hold on. That's that's the most horrific thing. Audit is so boring and stuff and nothing against auditor, but sometimes it's like churning through a lot of stuff and they give me the most mind blowing answer ever. You know what it is? Audit give us the time to fix the security thing that we want to fix, but (laughs) we don't have the time to justify to our product team that that's important. And that's the only time where business pay attention to security because otherwise they have fine and regulation. So they understand fine because it's money, they understand regulation because it's impact on the image and money. So it's contextual security. So when you don't have, for example, team that can fix stuff because they they have it in the back of their mind, that's when it's ideal when you have developer with a little bit of security knowledge. But when you don't have that, my suggestion is tend to be, you know, approach as a security person, approach the team, approach the product team, and let them understand the impact of a vulnerability. That will give you the time, or that will give developer the time to listen to you and to fix the vulnerability. Or make it contextual again, is having the conversation speaking to people in their language. And uh, I'm sure you have tons of stories from your side where you try to explain a use story. It's like, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I think people try to cut corners to save
1: money, but they don't realize it costs them 10 times that, if not more, months down the line. And I think it's just crazy. I don't know why. I think they try and. Get quick wins now. Quick wins are fine as long as you're not cutting corners. I've seen projects, and I won't go into details, where they've cut so much that they're just left with the corners, right? There's nothing there. (laughs) Cut so much that it's crazy. And Like I said, I've started to do kind of almost mini audits on projects that I might take on to see because I don't want... If they want to make it better and they're getting me on board to make it better, that's different. But if they are just want to code monkey and they just want to kind of just... No, you get disgusted.
0: At, at, at that point in time, you get disgusted because if you are not serious about, and sometimes I just take it as a challenge. You know, when when a client comes in and say, "Fix my problem," and then don't have conversation or don't have time with the developers, like, let me have, speak to them and let me have that discussion. And communication is ultimately the key. So if you don't even want to have a communication with me, you probably. The wrong person to speak with, but uh, I, I like I like your approach. I think we need to do more, and I like to do this more, to have that channel of communication with the development community, so that we can generate, we can start to have empathy against each other, or with each other, so we can start understanding the pain point of development people. And sometimes you have a very niche of cybersecurity people that come from development background, especially in application security, but the majority of the people come from risk, for come from infrastructure. So I, I came specifically from development in the very early years, and then I moved into infrastructure and other stuff. So I lost that touch with uh, the, the latest how to build stuff or the latest technology thing. So we can't understand really well. So it's creating the two-level communication that for me is key.
1: Right, yeah, I think that's where DevOps comes in and other other practices like that, you know bDD, I know people miss, misunderstand it and they think it's a job title or, or a technical tool or something rather than a, you know uh, a, a methodology. Yeah, we'll go into details another time on that. But yeah, I think it's all about communication. They all boil down to communication.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And is the methodology and is the people. So we have a mantra in, in cybersecurity, these people, process, and technology. We tend to forget, I mean, people and organizations tend to forget that they focus on technology and that's it. It's like we throw a tool, just security, developer is going to fix it. It's like, nah it's never gonna happen because you don't spend the time with the people or you don't give time to the developer. How many times you had to just read a report from a pen test company and say, well, fix this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. too often. Right, and without context, without anything, it's like they, they don't explain to you what do you have to fix, which line of code do you have to fix and contextual, and you kind of had to figure it out. There is a buffer overflow somewhere in your code Please go and figure it out, but in the next five minutes, and fix it, and release it, and test it, <laughs> and make sure you don't break the entire of the organization. Yeah. And if you don't know, if you never, if you never develop codes, of course, for you it's like fixing a vulnerability. Yeah, apply the patch, right? How many conversations that- you had with the security team and said, "Just apply the patch. Come that on, magic man.
1: button, right? In your IDE, just press the apply patch button. Fix vulnerability. Just does it for you. <laughs> if it was that simple, we've done it before.
0: or <laughs> <laughs> well, we had we had tons of of discussion. For example, back in open source, because open source is a massive issue an opportunity in cybersecurity, but we are wary because there is a lot of problem right now with um, repo squatters. So people that are sitting in repositories that are very, very much used or hijacking like really big contributors and their, their account to effectively inject code in really popular libraries, like Strat was uh, the, the very famous one where Equifat calls breach because somebody injected a line of code, or for example, British Airways hack, somebody injected uh, a piece of code in one of the libraries that was developed in the client side of the application. So British Airways had absolutely no clue. And there were four line of code that were just fundamentally shipping wow. the credit card information out, and that's it, using a library. So understanding that thing uh, from, from a security perspective, we feel like terrified because it's like, we don't understand very much how the whole process work and we need to face these new modern threats that, you know, y- you need to get up to speed. So the only way we're going to win on this is really partner up with development team and trying to figure it out together. I think it'd be in- it's interesting to know that... I mean, we will never know the exact numbers, but on the flip side
1: of that, how many security issues were fixed because it was open source and someone else spotted something um, via a pull request and said, well, actually, you're making that more or less secure or you do realize. I've seen things um, in my community of people spotting things that I haven't. Okay, they're not major security issues or anything, but it's just spot things that, that, that I haven't when you're working on things. That's why it's so important to get things reviewed or to pair with somebody. So, Absolutely. yeah, that was quite... Um, quite a serious uh, issue with struts. And I'd be interested to know, I don't know if you know this, if that developer that had their account hacked, if they had two-factor authentication enabled, because when I, with my clients, when when I create an organization on GitHub, I always tell them just 2FA everything, otherwise, it's not the person doing something wrong, it's the person accessing that person's account, which then uses it incorrectly.
0: Thank you, absolutely thank you. I had like probably so many conversation about, please use two-factor, it's so simple and easy to use. Yes. And you know, if somebody steal your email, because maybe you use that email in Starbucks or other accounts that got breached, because we get probably tons of breaches, we get one per month, the credential gets uh, stolen everywhere because probably use the same credentials. So we have the, one of the massive drivers is credential stuffing. So Don't 2FA, mean. you know, forget about it
1: and then the other thing that people can do on on git and github is sign their commits Mm. so i think it's so important that you can either do it with an ssh or gpg key on your computer so if they do it from another computer they don't have that gpg key and you can even password you know even they do get it you can also password protect it to have an extra kind of um, level and then that way people know that that commit is verified and has come from you there's just I and mean, it's straightforward to do. Yeah, it's just, it's straightforward to do, and I don't understand why people don't do it. It's like they're asking for it. It's like driving without insurance. You know, you might not, you might not cause the problem, but someone might bump into you. You
0: don't have insurance. You're still in trouble. Thank you, thank you. You just say the perfect word. So regulation is really the key thing when everybody is kind of forced to do that. So right now we need to chuck code and go. So. I had a good example. Is why don't we build software and code as we build bridges? You you never find uh, an agile way to build a bridge. You build a bridge. You have you know that it is going to take certain time. You take the time to effectively build that bridge in a certain way. Paying attention and following the process, not as you say, not cutting corner, maybe speeding up, but not cutting corner. And you know that when you cut corner, the bridge collapses because there is no cutting corner in that. Maybe you can go a little bit faster, but there is no cutting corner. So, with software being used a lot more into boarding machines or IoT for medical stuff, life is getting uh, depending. On software, so why can't we follow the best practice with security being one at the core of the software lifecycle? And it doesn't take much. It's like, as you said, multi-factor signing the code, uh, trying to do some basic tests, and really questioning your code is: Can I even break my own code? Can I find a clever way to actually, you know, break my own input or forms or stuff like that? Because those are the major vectors that people try it out.
1: And I think
0: with developers,
1: generally, generally, I'm generalizing here, but generally speaking, they don't want things to break. They only, when they're testing it, they're testing it that it works. They're not testing that it, the boundary conditions so much. That's why automated testing is so important. When I when I see people write their code and they test it, they, they go, can I fill in this form, submit it, is the data saved? Yes. Do they get navigated to the, whatever, confirmation page? But when they write automated tests, you get so many more ideas, right? What happens if I put rubbish in there what happens if I don't fill in this form field what happens if I try to do something with a URL or add something to the post or, or whatever whatever? I see people grabbing the entire post from the form and just saving in the database rather than grabbing out the bits that they want so if someone else puts more like you said stuffs more um, fields into the post then it's just going to save it into the database which is asking for trouble yes it Just and same with APIs I see people doing that with APIs they get the the request in and, you know the the post and they just save whatever was brought in so no if you just want the first name and last name, and just save the grab the first name and last name. And if they stuff anything else in, you're just ignoring it anyway. So who cares? Yeah. And it's it's not it's like an extra line of code. It's not a big deal. But I don't know. It just again, cutting corners. But that just seems no benefit to that. It just seems it just seems crazy.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's cut and paste, Is I don't know how to do this, I just drag and drop. I don't really question the code. So we run a very interesting exercise with a few friends and they just publish. So somebody published a vulnerability, I'm not going to mention which vulnerability, and they published a proof of concept that was, uh, of course, fake so that everybody grabbed it, they downloaded it, they run it without even questioning the code. And what that code did was capturing their credentials, their IP address and publish it somewhere else, just as a proof <laughs> of concept and the amount of download you had and this this goes back to the cyber community because the cyber saying oh there is a vulnerability let me download the latest proof of concept let me see it to blast on the wire without even questioning the code it's like when you download any kind of library just don't trust it by default you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't accept a stranger to give you a package in your home and say, "Oh, thank you very much. I'll accept it and I'll I'll, I'll open it up and I'll eat it, whatever it is inside." You start being that's a good analogy,
1: though. That is a good analogy. You wouldn't let a stranger into your home. You wouldn't accept a parcel from a stranger. If you're at the airport and someone says, "Hey, I'm I've got I'm, I'm a bit overweight. Do you mind taking this bag through?" You're not going to take <laughs> it through, right? So, why on the internet are people so relaxed? They think I think it's because they think it won't happen to them isn't it someone else's it's going to happen to somebody else not mm-hmm. them for whatever reason they justify it with oh my project's not big enough or it's not popular enough it might one day become popular and, and it's too late um so i think yeah people need to be made more aware of it and once they're once they're bitten i think they're very different but what why get why get bitten why not why cry over spilt milk why not just be have precautions a bit beforehand. And, you know, I think the communities, the cybersecurity community is is really awesome. I, I follow your stuff and other people's stuff on socials. And I'm always picking up little gems here and yeah. there. Yes, I'm, I'm not saying I'm an expert at all and, or know much about it, but picking up these different tools that I can use and these gems, or if I have a question, I, I know kind of who to ask. And I think it's important. I think we need to do that on, um, you know, both both ways. Maybe we should have like a developer, developer infosec kind of conference where they kind of mix together because you do, do, do developer do. And, and testing
0: we do so actually we we, we we're speaking with all day devops uh in all day devops uh, sponsored by Sonatype, but all all the other industry that they are they're effectively the maintainer of maven central and on the back of it it, it came uh, it came about a lot of the open source analysis that i was talking about uh, and we partner up on a, on a lot of stuff that we do uh, with nsc 42 But we do tend to go a little bit more from a development perspective side on the developer community. But that's not always the case. And I try to force myself to go to more development community. But it's the lingual. I struggle a lot because the stuff that I talk about, I see people blank out. And I try to make the example as simple as possible But sometimes it's so hard because it's ingrained inside me certain terminology or things that, you know, you need to remove. And it's back to the point that you made before is context and is that conversation, is that vehicle that is absolutely key.
1: It's fine in the time. I appreciate we all have a certain amount of capacity. We're trying to learn in our areas, but we need to... I think it's that I think they call it T T shaped learning. So you go deep in your area and focus, but you need to go wide and be appreciative of other areas to know where to look. For example, when GitHub integrated with Dependabot and White Source, so now they notify if your dependencies mm-hmm. have security issues, if you should upgrade to newer versions. And I've turned notifications and alert. I want emails, I want GitHub notifications, I want everything. Whereas other people have gone the opposite and they're saying, yeah, mute, not interested. It's like, why would you not want to know if one of the libraries you're using is suddenly out of date and there's a security vulnerability and you should upgrade it? and i get it if it's like like one it's of nice my projects is <laughs> It's noisy. It's noisy, but it's important. It's noisy because they've left it too long. Whereas if they keep up to date with it, it's not noisy, right? You get a notification one, once or twice a month. But when they keep getting long lists because they don't update anything, then they're, they're, they're drowning is the problem, but they're making it yeah. worse. And it's only getting worse and worse and worse. I appreciate it if it's a static website and there's no, nothing on there and you've included some library that, that has an issue. Okay, you might ignore it because you're not doing anything with specifically with that library to use that functionality but most projects aren't just static websites right most projects need a database or make a http request or do or something my, or,
0: or will or will so the, the other scary thing it will so maybe you put a library in there and you say i'm not going to use that function and tomorrow somebody will say that's a really great function Let's use yeah. it uh, uh, vulnerability <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's very true, actually. So, the moral of the story is keep your shit up to date. Can I swear? On this? I don't know. Let me say that again. Yes, you can. Short. You can.
0: Okay. <laughs> if it's if worth for security, yes, you can.
1: <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, but just keep things up to date. It's, it's not hard. I was on one project for a high street e commerce, um, I'm not going to say who it is, e commerce like shop, then online shop as well. And the first thing when I joined their team, they were using, using React, and uh, the first thing I joined their team, I said, look, React is really out of date, and so is Redux, and so is you know, your backend. We should update it. Said, we can't, because this library we're using hasn't had an update in years, so we've got to keep everything else stuck on their LUT versions. So I was like, that's crazy, because if there's one small library that you don't want to swap out or change or whatever you want to do, you're keeping everything, you two years out of date. Yeah, and, and vulnerable. <laughs> And, and they said, yeah, we haven't got time for it now. And so I said, look, I'll tell you now, I didn't know about this because they told me how amazing their project was, you know, how awesome it was. So three months into my contract, it's a three month contract and they wanted to renew. I said, look, I'm not renewing. I gave them like a month's notice of, Look, I'm not going to renew, but I'll work hard until my last day. And then... What the what the tipping tipping point on that that when I had a month ago was, I said, look, you've got some failing tests. I'm not going to review your PR until until you fix those tests. So I don't know, 10 minutes later I said, okay, it's all sorted, don't worry about it. So I went and had a look and they've turned off on CI the automated tests. I'm like, well, what are you doing? Like, well, I've got too much work to do this week. I'll turn them on next week. It's like, no, because if you turn them off, they're never going to go on because everyone, because you've got two failing tests now, but next week you'll have 20. Well, we we'll all have 20. <laughs> and it was just a sinking ship. So I, I left the project and, and after my contract finished, I didn't renew And Six months later, I heard the project got canned. Imagine Jeez. wasting all that money for like eight people all because they were just cutting so many corners. I, I think yeah I think it also failed some security checks as well. It would have done for sure because everything because was out of so of date. things were out of date. yeah, like it was so bad, really,
0: really bad. Yeah, um, but on, on the positive side, we had started this conversation and we started communicating <laughs> on the same level. And we got. I hope for all the listeners today, we got some gem. But if you want to leave the listener today with a really good gem about either security or development uh, or personal, just leave our audience with a positive message though.
1: Good call, good call. Uh, great idea. So my positive message to, to everyone listening would be get involved in the community whatever community you're in be it cyber be it dev be it ux whatever it is get involved you will you will network you will upskill yourself because you will learn so much and you'll have fun doing it the community want you to get involved and want you to, to succeed and keep your projects up to date. Don't cut <laughs> I corners. I was waiting
0: for it. <laughs> oh
1: God, I thought, how long should I pause for Keep your projects up to date and don't cut corners. Would you rather have, if you, if, if the people listening, if you, it was your money, if it was your money, your project, would you rather have 10 features that didn't really work, insecure and slow, or would you rather have seven features that were bulletproof worked secure and performant they don't have to be shiny and polished i'm not saying have all the rounded corners and all perfect but the state they're in is in a professional and healthy state you can add the polish more on later you can increase the fidelity even if you've got something at a lower fidelity just still needs to be secure and functional it still needs to work and have the automated testing all around it so that's what i'll leave everyone with i I loved
0: it i love it just update your damn code (laughs) (laughs) you <laughs> I love it. I love it because otherwise you update it and you find three months down the line, somebody was cyber squatting on your repo or somebody was leveraging that fantastic library that it was too complicated to update. But anyway, we want to leave everybody with a very positive message. to so update your library, be involved in the community and Eddie, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. There will be more and more of this because I think we had tons of conversation. So I'm really looking forward for the next episode. Of developers and cyber, <laughs> thank you for coming on the Cybersecurity so Cloud Podcast, and mind. everybody, thank we you for listening. This thank you, Eddie. Hasn't thank you for having me. Yes.
1: So we've got to keep everything else stuck on their lot versions. And I was like, but that's crazy because if there's one small library that you don't want to swap out or change or whatever you want to do, you're keeping everything. you two years out of date. Yeah, and, and vulnerable. And and they said, yeah, we haven't got time for it now. And so I said, look, I'll tell you now, I didn't know about this because they told me how amazing their project was, you know, how awesome it was. So three months into my contract, it's a three-month contract and they wanted to renew. I said, look, I'm not renewing. I gave them like a month's notice. Of, look, I'm not going to renew, but I'll work hard until my last day. And then what the, what the tipping? tipping...